0: Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. In our last episode, we continued our look at Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's rebuttal closing as she dissected the defense arguments that their clients were engaged in attempting a lawful citizen's arrest. In this episode, the prosecutor steps back from the details of the facts and the law and offers the jurors a proposal for how to analyze the case. That's coming up after the break. Linda Donikowski, again using a PowerPoint presentation, starts this section of her rebuttal with her big-picture argument for how the jury should look at the case.
1: So how do you analyze this case? Well, was it a citizen's arrest? You decide. But if they were not conducting a lawful citizen's arrest, you do not have to consider, you still may if you want to, but you don't really have to consider self-defense. If it's not a lawful citizen's arrest, then they were the first unjustified aggressors and they were committing felonies against Mr. Arbery and therefore they don't get to claim self-defense and you can go directly to the charges in the indictment. All right, so it's not a citizen's arrest. This is the state's argument. No crime, not a burglary, not criminal trespass committed in the defendant's presence, none whatsoever. The suggestion that the victim committed a burglary in 2019, you can't arrest him now because he's not escaping from those things. Think about this. How is someone escaping from October 25th out on a dock? How is someone escaping from February 11th, 2020, on February 23rd, okay? That is irrational. Wanting to question the victim demonstrates their uncertainty on what he had done that day, and wanting to question the victim demonstrates a lack of immediate knowledge which is required for a lawful citizen's arrest. They didn't see him commit any crime that day. And the state's not saying he wasn't in 220 Satilla Drive. We all know he went in there and wandered around and then came out and then ran off down the street. We all know that. They didn't know that.
0: Donokowski next begins to break down this big picture argument by showing the jury a satellite map of the area where Ahmaud Arbery was killed.
1: So let's go ahead and take a look at the evidence in the case. So first off, once again, where are we? Satilla Shores, Royal Oaks is next door. Fancy Bluff, that's where Ahmaud Arbery lives. There's US 17, expressways over there 95.
0: Up on the screen comes the photo of Mr. Arbery with a baseball cap and a bright smile. With that image in the jury's mind, Prosecutor Dunikowski makes reference to Lara Hogue's controversial description of Ahmaud Arbery.
1: Ahmaud Arbery, yesterday, Laura got up here and she gave you Criminal Defense 101. <sighs> Usually, Criminal Defense 101 is no crime actually took place. Well, crime's on video. My client didn't commit the crime. Well, you have your clients on the video committing the crime. Criminal Defense 101, step three it's the victim's fault. Standard, standard stuff. Malign the victim, it's the victim's fault. I know you're not gonna buy into that. It's offensive.
0: Images from the satellite map reappear on the screen as the prosecutor references places on the map.
1: He lived 1.8 miles away. There was his residence. There's the house under construction. Only 1.8 miles away. February 23rd, 2020 at 1.08 p.m. Mr. Arbery walks up to the open, unsecured construction site. We have our Olsen video. Remember, it's off by an hour and five minutes. Per the video from inside 220. Mr. Aubrey does not take anything, just does what he always does, wanders around and leaves. It's not a burglary, okay? How would you know what his intent was? Well, did he steal anything? No. Did he leave like he always does? Yes. It's a Sunday afternoon. And mister Albenzi calls the non emergency police line at one o eight. I said Joan, why didn't you call nine one one? Because this was not an emergency. Wasn't an emergency. Mr Albenzi, just another guy over at that house, again, the house that's unsecured, doesn't have a fence, doesn't even have no trespassing signs on. He sends somebody out when it's convenient. Not an emergency.
0: Next, as Donikowski references Greg McMichael's statements to the police, the text of those statements appear in the PowerPoint presentation.
1: Greg McMichael is in front of 230 Satilla Drive alone, and he sees Mr. Arbery running down the street. Driveway decision one. How do we know he didn't witness any crime? But the whole thing started when I saw this guy running down the street. He does not know that Mr. Arbery was inside 220. He only sees him running down the street. Travis McMichael certainly didn't know anything. He's inside, on the sofa. Greg McMichael assumed the worst. And so I thought, well, you know, he's running from somebody. He's just done something. You know, he might have hurt somebody or whatever, because you know, this guy's been in and out of that damn one house over and over and over again, got him on videos and everything. That is not sufficient for a citizen's arrest. This is not probable cause. This is, I don't know what in the world this guy was doing, but he's running down the street real fast. That's what this is. And remember, he's talking to the police about what he believed Ahmaud Arbery had done that day. He must have done something today. He's running down the street. Let's chase after him with guns. That's what happened. Driveway decision. Greg McMichael chooses to arm himself with a handgun. Travis McMichael chooses to arm himself with a pump shotgun. These are their choices. Travis McMichael had his cell phone, but Greg McMichael does not take his cell phone to him. All right. This is really important, ladies and gentlemen. On February 11th, the 911 operator stayed on the phone with Travis McMichael the entire time, right? Greg McMichael had actually made contact with the 911 operator. What would have been happening inside the truck? He'd have been on the phone with that 911 operator going, yeah, he's going this way. He's coming this way. He's going that way. Okay? The fact that Gregory Michael was not on the phone with 911, giving them a play by play, tells you that Travis knew his dad hadn't called 911. Okay? Neither one of them called 911. They had no intention of calling 911. Just like they went and confronted the homeless guy under the bridge and then called 911. Just like they ran back down on February 11, 2020, to the house and then called 911. What do they do? They get their guns, they go to do a confrontation, and then they call 911. Greg McMichael didn't even bother to take his cell phone with him. Obvious to Travis, he did not call 911.
0: Dunachowski next moves on to making her arguments to the jury for how they should regard the testimony of Travis McMichael.
1: Travis McMichael, 60 seconds after Mr. Arbery has run past 230 Satilla Drive, he makes his driveway decision doesn't tell his dad to calm down, doesn't tell his dad that no, he's not getting a shotgun and running after somebody, not doesn't tell his dad, this is a really, really bad idea, we shouldn't do this. No, what does he do? His white F-150 pickup truck backs out of the driveway and heads in the direction that Mr. Arbery was running. This happens after he gets his shotgun and getting into his pickup truck. Travis McMichael testified that he went to the end of the driveway and he saw Mr. Benze point one time down the street, there was no verbal communication by Mr. Albenze with the McMichaels. That was a lie.
0: Donakowski then sets out to demonstrate for the jurors that Matt Albenzi testified truthfully when he denied at any point in time communicating with the McMichaels in any way, shape, or form, and that Travis McMichael had fabricated his testimony that he saw Matt Albenzi gesturing for him to pursue Ahmaud Arbery. I'm
1: gonna focus your attention up here, ladies and
0: gentlemen. Security video plays on the court TV screen as Prosecutor Donikowski makes her case to the jurors.
1: So what we have here, as you can see, is Mr. Albenze, right? Here's the black car. Remember, the black car goes by, then Mr. Aubrey runs the other way, down this way, right? So let's go ahead and play. There goes the black car. Mr. Albenzi's there. There goes Amon. Do you see him? Right there, Maud's running, running. Then what happens? See the white truck right here. Somebody comes out, goes to the door of the truck. Mr. Albenzi is still right here underneath the tree. Somebody else comes out. Do you see the second person come out and go around the front of the truck? Gregory Michael. Because where's Gregory Michael? Gregory Michael's gone into that, sit in that car seat, right? Second person comes around. Then what happens? Then Mr. Albenzi walks down the street. He's walking. He's walking. He's walking. He's walking. Truck pulls out. Wow. Mr. Albenzi does his pointing when the truck is already pulled out and going down the street.
0: Based on this security video, it appears to have been impossible for Travis McMichael to have seen Matt Albenzi's gesture. And Albenzi's statement that he was making that gesture as part of his conversation with the non-emergency police operator seems to be a much more plausible explanation of the events in the video. After playing the security video sequence that the prosecution argues proves that Travis McMichael fabricated the story that he saw Matt Albenzi pointing down the street, Linda Donikowski follows up by asking the jury,
1: Should you trust the statements of Travis McMichael? He told you he's not going to chase or investigate someone who is armed. And yet all he talked about was, well, he kept reaching in his pants, he kept reaching in his pocket. Well, did you think he was armed or not? Then what did he tell you? This is what I was thinking. Mr. Arbery may have run by. Maybe Matt had seen him. Maybe he has broken in. Maybe Larry English is over at 220. I don't know. Maybe Ahmad Arbery was caught. Maybe Ahmad Arbery is running from the police. These are all maybes. He doesn't know anything. These are all the maybes he testified to. He said he assumed he was committing a crime. That's what he said in the stand. Remember, I wrote it out. You said you assumed he was committing a crime. I went down there to see if it was him. Then he said, I don't know. I don't know what he did that day. I don't know. Then he wanted to talk about his totality of the circumstances and all that stuff that he knew that was going to allow him to do the citizen's arrest. What did he talk about? Well, i heard from my mom about the stuff stolen off the boat. Okay, well, can't arrest somebody on the unsupported gossip of someone else. Can't do that. And then, you know, I saw him inside the house, and I knew he was in there a couple other days because I'd seen video. Okay, real he saw these videos. Okay, well, that's not having committed a crime in his immediate presence. This is somebody showing you some stuff later. And then he you knew about the white couple, Oh, yeah, I knew there were other suspects for stealing the stuff and other suspects who had gone in the house, the white couple, okay? And then he also said, well, yeah, and then there was the shady-looking guy under the bridge. He was also kind of a suspect. He said, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. What happened down the road? I was ordering him to stop. What gives you the right to order Ahmaud Arbery to stop? My impression was that he could be a threat because who knows what can happen? Oh, my God. Self-defense, you have to think you're in imminent danger of receiving serious bodily harm or death. It's imminently it really happening. I'm about to die. My impression was that he could have a threat. Yeah, who knows what could happen. All right, so what else have we got? If Greg had called 911, he still would have been on the phone with 911. We know that. That's how 911 works. They stay on the phone with you. He knew he wasn't on the phone with 911. He told you he didn't know what his father was saying to him on. Really? Do you, does anybody believe that? That he, he's in the car with his dad, but he has no idea what it was that his father was actually saying to Ahmad as well as what he was saying. Now, what did he talk about? He talked about that like continuum of the use of force and blah, blah, blah. Level two is commands. Okay. I'm sorry. How do police officers command people to do stuff? How do they usually do that? Because police officers, I mean, are they yelling at you? Or are they politely saying stuff to you when they're commanding you to do things? Do you believe for a minute he was talking softly to Ahmaud Arbery? What's going on? What are you doing? Please stop for me. Do you really believe that for one minute? I'm going to ask you another question. Do you think this Travis McMichael who took the stand was the same Travis McMichael from February 23rd? Do you think they're the same person? Or you think this is trial preparation?
0: Dunikowski uses audio evidence to help the jury differentiate between the McMichaels that they see in court and the McMichaels who pursued Ahmaud Arbery on February 23rd, 2020.
1: What tone of voice do we have being used by the McMichaels? Hello?
0: 911, what's the address emergency? Uh, I'm not
1: here, kill Killa Shores. It's a black male. Running down the street, tell where, where, road. where at Satilla's Shores? I don't know what street we're not Stop isn't it? Stop! Is <laughs> <gasps> <gasps> sir. Hello. Ask yourself, was that the tone of voice being used? Well, yes, we know it was. He just said, "Stop!" damn it, stop! To Mister Arbery, in that tone of voice.
0: The prosecutor ends this section of her rebuttal by using the defense questioning of Travis McMichael against the defendant, specifically their reference to the use of force continuum training that McMichael claimed to have received in the Coast Guard.
1: All right, use of force continuum, presence, did not have, no badge, no uniform, no authority, just some strange guys in a white pickup truck, strangers, verbal commands, They don't have any authority to use verbal commands. This is a fellow citizen. This is another human being. They're pulling up on him, and they're commanding that he stop and talk to them. And then, of course, he skipped level three, level four, level five, and went right to deadly force. Someone's dead. Claims he didn't cut off a mod on Burford, did not get out with his shotgun. I don't know. You believe any of that? Told the police he got out of his car in Holmes a few houses down and yelled at Ahmad to stop. Now he says that didn't happen. And his convenient excuses, I was really confused. What did he say the Coast Guard goals were? To not escalate, but to keep everyone calm and cool. You don't want anything to escalate. But then he tells you, oh, but you pull out a shotgun and point at somebody to de-escalate a situation. What are you talking about? Does this logic make any sense to anybody? Travis McMichael never said to the police, I was making an arrest, I was trying to arrest him for the crime of this. Wouldn't that be really, really important? Hey, I was trying to effectuate a citizen's arrest for this crime that I know he committed. Wouldn't that be something you'd tell the police never once? Never told Mr. Arbery he was under arrest. Never said, I saw him commit the crime of blank today. Because he didn't, he was sitting on his sofa. Never said, I was afraid he was gonna hurt my dad or pull him down. Never even mentioned being afraid for his dad. Not once. Anything about the English's boat or anything being stolen from 220. Never mentioned it. Never talked about it. Two hour and 45 minute interview doesn't talk about any of this stuff. Assumed the worst. Here's what he did. So he stopped and I said, hey, just want to talk to you. You know, where where are you running from? Where are you going? This is what he says he said. He's asking Ahmaud about what he was doing that day, that day, because he didn't know what he'd done that day, but he assumed the worst. He must have committed some crime. What's your emergency? There's a black man running down the street. What did Agent Seacrest tell you? GBI agent. I can't compel anyone to speak to me. They knew better. Just like Agent Seacrest knows. I can't compel anybody to talk to me.
0: That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. On our next episode, we finish our examination of Prosecutor Linda Donikowski's rebuttal-closing argument as she moves on to an assessment of the evidence against William Bryan and then wraps up with one final suggestion to the jury for what this case is all about.
1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order.
0: That's quince.com slash upgrade. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery.